And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome to the Tuesday edition of The Real Investment Show, of course, as we... uh continue to plow through this month of March. You know, it's been uh, kind of an interesting month following up. Starting in February, of course, we had that invasion into Russia, which, or sorry, the invasion to Ukraine by Russia. And, you know, that really kind of started the panic selling in the markets. But since then, markets have actually recovered very nicely here over the course of the last week in particular. Futures are pointing up again this morning. And now then look, this is all despite the fact that, well, you know, the Russian invasion continues at this point, doesn't really seem to be an end to this inside, although it has kind of starting to look like it's becoming more of a stalemate at this point. But the other side of this is the Fed now talking about being even more aggressive. So yesterday, Jerome Powell making some comments saying that they're going to need to be more aggressive with rate hikes um, to combat high inflation, right? Prices are high. Well, Again, we need to go back as to why prices are high. Well, that was because we dropped $5 trillion worth of liquidity, gave checks to households. They went out and bought stuff, and so you have high prices. You know, what's interesting, though, is, is that despite the fact that we've got very high gasoline prices, we haven't seen demand destruction just yet in terms of that consumption. So, so far, people are being able to still pay for their gas and continue to do what they want to do. Of course, what we are seeing is that they're moving into doing more of that on credit. Credit balances are starting to increase rather sharply. Um, That's not surprising. That can last for a while. And as the Fed begins to hike rates, we'll see how this goes. But, you know, more aggressive rate hikes, obviously, are going to slow economic growth. That's the whole intent of slowing economic growth. So that becomes the big question is that, you know, with markets where they are, and and again, we've had, uh, you know, a nice rally here over the last few days, and markets push back up towards you know overhead resistance in the last day or two, particularly the 50-day and the 20, the 200-day moving averages. The question is, can they continue? Right? Is there enough bullish sentiment at this point to push the markets higher? Well, there's not necessarily bullish sentiment, but there is a lot of bearish sentiment, and that's actually bullish, right? Um, people are so bearish on the markets that it's actually bullish, right? If you take a look at um, investor sentiment, cash levels uh, in portfolio managers, uh, you know, portfolios. Um, take a look at investor sentiment. Um, professional investor sentiment is all very negative. And typically when you have extreme lever- levels of negativity in markets, that tends to denote at least a short-term bottom of the market. So doesn't mean necessarily that you're going to be back into a major bull market trend by any stretch of the imagination. We've got a lot of stuff that's going to happen over the course of the next really 12 months as the Fed hikes rates, as liquidity that was all put into the system last year and the year before, you know, gets utilized and it comes out of the system. You know, there was an interesting chart out this morning talking about the cash balances that people have in savings right now. And if you take a look across the uh, across the economy, people have on average about 14 percent more in savings than they did previously. Now, that means they've got a cash cushion to absorb some of these higher prices. But you've got to be careful with this type of analysis because it just lumps everybody in to the same bucket. But the reality is is about 70% 
of that cash savings balance is owned by the top 20% of income earners, which really isn't surprising. We talked yesterday about an article in Bloomberg, you know, saying, you know, inflation's not really bothering you if you make more than 300000 a year. It's just for everybody else that they're having to deal with inflation. And it's the same thing when you take a look at things like cash savings, accumulated assets, net worth. It's all accumulated at the top end of that bracket. That top 10, top 20% of income earners own the majority of these assets. That means the bottom 80%. Now, the important thing is, is that the bottom 80% are the biggest contributors to economic growth because they consume everything, right? I mean, their entire paycheck goes to consuming goods, products, services, whatever it is, there's not a lot. And, and again, as the, as, the, as, as the survey showed, they don't have a lot of excess savings. They have to go into debt every single month, every single year just to make ends meet. And when inflation goes up, that makes it that much harder. So eventually what will happen is that that will translate into both the economy, right? We'll see a slower economic environment, that's for sure. And particularly with the Fed hiking rates, that's going to ensure that we're going to have slower rates of economic growth. But slower rates of economic growth will translate and less consumption by that bottom 80% that consume everything. That will translate into weaker earnings growth for companies that will limit the ability for markets to rally. Doesn't mean markets can't rally, right? This is kind of the conundrum we're in right now is that the markets are at a point where we've got really negative sentiment, really negative positioning, suggestive of a rally, which we are getting, and we're going to get some more today. But the issue is, is how sustainable is it? And particularly as we have a position now where we have very high valuations on equities, right? 30, 35 times earnings uh, on equities those earnings begin to slow, that's going to make valuations go up more. If prices remain the same and earnings decline, which is what you would have during an economic you know, slowdown, that means that valuations will rise, which will make prices even harder to justify. So going forward, there's a lot of challenges, and it doesn't mean necessarily that we've got to have a big major bear market, although we're certainly due for one. A real one, right? Uh, 2020 wasn't a bear market. That was just a shutdown of the economy and um, a disruption in the markets. We haven't had a valuation adjusting bear market, right? That We haven't had that since 2008. So we're certainly due for one, time frame wise, but it doesn't mean that you have to have one, right? It's just a function of when markets actually get to the point that valuations matter. And we just haven't gotten to that point just yet. We will, but we don't know when that will occur. But, but paying attention to this, importantly here, is that markets are rallying. We're back up on resistance. And you know, again, there's enough negativity in the market that markets can kind of seem to do what they shouldn't really seem to do, right? You know, if, you take a, if you listen to people, they're very negative on markets, very negative on the economy. And markets are just kind of holding in there, right? They're not really doing a whole lot. We just kind of continue this kind of grind sideways that we've been doing now for the last couple of months. And, and everybody's kind of confused about that. Well, this is because we have this environment of extreme negative sentiment, which is typically bullish for stocks. I know it's very confusing, but <laughs> it's just the way kind of markets work over time. Uh, markets are very overbought short term. And, and as we've talked about, certainly wouldn't be a surprise here to see this market pull back a bit over the next week or two.
there's lots of, of potential catalyst here for this. We're kind of moving into a void uh, over the next couple of weeks. No earnings. Um, uh, we do have a, a couple of earnings out today. Adobe, as an example, will be reporting earnings after the bell, but this is one of the last companies to report before we get into the next earnings season cycle. And also corporate buybacks are in blackout right now, which that kind of limits one of the other buying uh, pressures for the markets as well. So we are kind of getting into a limbo phase here over the next couple of weeks that, you know, could keep this market from really going anywhere fast. But again, there's so much negative sentiment here that it's also helping support the markets in the meantime. So. Look, we got a lot of stuff to get into this morning. We'll talk more about the Fed rate hikes, what's coming up, kind of down the line, what's going on um, with the economy as well. Stick around, more of the Real Investment Show coming up right after the break. And again, make sure you get by the website today, realinvestmentadvice.com. Our latest articles, blog posts are out on the website as well as our latest newsletter. It's all there for you, realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. There's a war being waged on your retirement dollars. And unless you act now, you'll lose the battle with inflation, higher taxes, and a lower standard of living. You can blunt the effects of rising prices with our next workshop on combating inflation in retirement. April 2nd at the Embassy Suites Houston. Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff will help you fortify your life savings, make the most of Social Security, and lower your taxes. Register now for this free workshop at realinvestmentadvice.com. Combating inflation and retirement with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. Of course, it is uh, 6.17 on this uh, Tuesday as we kind of get things underway. Jerome Powell yesterday making some comments about inflation. And I thought it was kind of interesting some of the, you know, kind of some of the points that he made because he said the sudden, you know, kind of this surge in inflation. Well, here, let me just uh, quote him real quick. It continues to seem likely that hoped for supply side healing will come over time as the world ultimately settles into some new normal. But the timing and scope of that relief is highly uncertain. And in the meantime, as we set policy, we'll be looking to actual progress on these issues and not assuming they a significant near-term supply-side relief. Now, this is a, a kind of an interesting point for the Fed because what the Fed is now alluding to is much faster hikes in terms of the Fed rate than what was previously anticipated. In fact, right now, there's a 63% chance that come the May meeting, they will hike rates by 50 basis points, and we could actually see another 50 basis point hike sometime this year. Now, uh, what's going to happen, of course, is that as they become more aggressive about hiking rates, that will slow economic growth. And with other factors already tightening policy in the economy, um, you'll get into a recession sooner than later. And, and the yield curve is already telling you this. We have a 
fairly rapid inversion of yield curves that are going on right now. The 10-2, the 30-10s, the, the, the 35s, the 32s. I mean, you take a look at a variety of these yield curves, and they're all heading down towards inversion very quickly. But let me, let me stop right there real quick and, and just talk about the yield curve, because here's what you're going to hear when this happens. The most watched yield curve is the 10-year and the two-year interest rate spread. When the two-year interest rate spread is higher than the 10-year, then that's when you have a yield curve inversion, right? So the two-year Treasury rate is at 2% and the 10-year Treasury is at 1.5%. So you've got a negative 1.5, uh, sorry, a negative half percent spread, right? So it's a yield curve inversion. And what the media will do is, and everybody's watching these yield curves. I mean, like every day there's, there's a comment about these yield curves. Everybody's watching them tick by tick by tick, slowly heading down towards inversion. Next Monday, for instance, the yield curve inverts by one basis point. Headlines are going to ring out, economy near recession. As yield curve inverts, but we won't be in a recession. And this will go on for a couple of weeks, maybe even a couple of months. And then you're going to hear from the media, this time is different. Because, see, we, we got into a yield curve inversion and, and the economy didn't go into recession. The Fed is going to orchestrate a soft landing. And the market should do fine. That'll be the, the headlines. The problem is, is that the yield curve, when it inverts, is not telling you that you're in recession. It's warning you of a recession. And how do I know that this is going to be the case? Well, because in 2019, it's exactly what happened. In 2019, the yield curve inverted. We were inverted for a month or so. The Fed's doing backdoor bailouts of hedge funds through repo auctions. And the media was saying, well, see, this time must be different. I, you know, the, the yield curve has a 100% probability of predicting recessions, but this time must be different. March of 2020 comes along, we're in a recession, and no, this time wasn't different. And this is the way it's always the case, right? The yield curve doesn't predict an immediate recession. It warns you of a recession. You know, it's interesting. You know, this is the problem with the media in general when it comes to managing your money because high valuations. Valuations are high, but we haven't gone into a bear market. So this time is different. High valuations are justified by low rates, et cetera, so forth and so on. It's not the way valuations work. Valuations don't warn you of a bear market. They tell you that forward rates of return will be lower because you're overpaying for assets. But this is the problem with the media. The media in general, wants you know, a, good head, a good headline, and the yield curve inversion is going to be a great headline for a couple of weeks, and they'll get bored with it because, well, you know, it hasn't resulted in anything yet. 
But from a money management standpoint and managing your own portfolio, the important thing will be to understand is that what the, the inverted yield curve is telling you is a recession is coming. What does the yield curve tell you about a recession? When it uninverts, that's when you're in the recession. Because money's leaving the short end of the curve to go into the long ends, right? So people are selling their two-year treasuries to buy 10-year treasuries as yields are dropping rapidly at that point. So there's a very sharp uninversion as rates fall dramatically. And this is part of the problem that you have going on with bonds right now. Bond, you know, bond yields have been going up here over the last couple of days on expectations of higher rates and, and higher inflation. That's what you would expect. But those yields are reaching levels that they are tightening economic activity. Mortgage rates are going up. Credit card rates are going up. Cost of borrowing is going up. And in an environment where people are looking forward going, you know what? I'm seeing a weaker environment. So I'm not willing to borrow money at higher rates because I can't justify it. For homeowners, they're going, I can't afford to pay the monthly note on the house. So I'm not going to buy a house right now. One of the big problems for the real estate market is the refi market for banks, because as interest rates go up, why would I refi my 4% mortgage at 4.5%, right? It doesn't make any sense. So higher rates are going to slow economic activity already. And now the Fed's going to hike rates on top of that. So the bond market's already doing its job. Of reducing, of, of reducing activity. It just hasn't shown up yet. And now the Federal Reserve is going to try to front run that even more by hiking rates to combat inflation. And, you know, the, for the Fed, that's fine. As long as everything else is status quo and remains equal, them tinkering around with the short end of the curve might, in fact, allow them to control inflation a hair. But their actions are really just compounding the effect of what's already occurring within the economy. You're already having slower economic growth. It was interesting. They make this note in their statement yesterday. He says, we will take necessary steps to ensure a return to price stability. Well, what is price stability? Price stability to them is two, two and a half percent inflation. That also means at 2 2.5% inflation, you have 2 2.5% economic growth, which isn't great. You can't have 8% economic growth and 2% inflation. That just, those don't exist. If you have 8% growth or 5% growth or 6% growth in the economy, you've got to have an equal rate of inflation because they track each other over time. Higher rates of economic growth lead to higher inflationary pressures. We just came off a year of very strong economic growth, and surprise, we have strong inflation, high inflation. But that inflation was driven by artificial factors. The growth was driven by artificial factors. It wasn't organic growth. We were talking yesterday about my wife and I watching the movie Midway and and you know we forget that there was a point in our history where 
all these men and women post-World War II were all manufacturing, right? Manufacturing is one of the highest input values into the economy because manufacturing stuff requires so much throughput of commodities from so many different sources to manufacture something. That is very different today where we have a large majority of our population dependent on services rather than manufacturing, which have a very low multiplier in the economy. And the demand was driven by an artificial surge in money that was given to households to go out and buy stuff at a time when we had shut down the economy and weren't producing anything, right? So you have this artificial impact of no supply and a tremendous jump in demand, which led to inflation, but that will reverse quickly as the demand destruction begins to occur because of lack of liquidity, right? It's just simply a function that the money's going away. It'll take time for that to factor through into the economy because, again, the first thing that, that you know consumers will do is they'll spend all the money you give them, and then they'll spend more on credit card to sustain that. that they've kind of gotten used to this new kind of way of being, so they'll start you know buying the same stuff, paying more for it, and they'll go into debt to do it, hoping that it'll resolve itself fairly shortly, right? Well, as soon as this, you know, as soon as things get back, as soon as we get past the war, right, things get back to normal, I'll, I'll catch up. But they don't get caught up. And eventually they start making the decision to spend less. It takes time to erode demand, but it will occur. And between higher rates and erosion of demand, less liquidity, and the Fed hiking rates, the more aggressive the Fed gets, the faster we get pushed towards the next recession. That's just a function of math. Be right back after the break. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. There's a war being waged on your retirement dollar. And unless you act now, you'll lose the battle with inflation, higher taxes, and a lower standard of living. You can blunt the effects of rising prices with our next workshop on combating inflation in retirement. April 2nd at the Embassy Suites Houston. Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff will help you fortify your life savings, make the most of Social Security, and lower your taxes. Register now for this free workshop at realinvestmentadvice.com. Combating inflation in retirement with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Back to the show this morning. A um, couple of things we're getting, you know, kind of having to deal with here over the course of the next, oh, you know, couple of months in particular is really just coming to grips with what's happening in, in you know, with the Russia-Ukraine invasion. 
And, you know, is there going to be a resolution with that? And with that, most importantly, is a removal of these sanctions on Russia. Because without the removal, the, the war is one thing, right? I mean, that's, that's one thing. But in an isolation, you know, that doesn't have that big of an impact on the global economy. But the sanctions on Russia do, right? That's the important thing here. Because those sanctions are where we're getting crimps in, you know, food supplies, oil price, you know, oil supplies, uh, precious metals, you know, uh, rare earth metals, etc. That's going to impede and lengthen some of these supply chain issues that we're already dealing with that are creating high inflationary pressures. So we're going to have demand destruction on part of this, and that will start to ease some of these inflationary pressures as we get further into the year. But ultimately, it'll be the resolution of what happens with Russia and the easing and or removal of some of these sanctions that will ultimately lead to an increase in the supply of commodities that'll help to start rebalancing the economies, you know, back to normal levels. Now, the other, the other side of that, of course, is that, for instance, we'll start producing more wheat and oil or whatever. Uh, other countries will do the same. They'll increase production to offset the lack of product coming out of Russia. But uh, again, the resolution of that is, is what's going to ultimately be important. But that can be months and months and months. So the important thing here is that inflation will likely be with us longer in terms of higher prices. Now, there's let me be clear. There's a difference between higher prices and inflation. Now, you may be sitting there going, no, there's not. That's the same thing. <laughs> Higher prices can stay with us for a long time, right? Um, oil prices, uh, the, the, the price per barrel of oil can decline. That doesn't necessarily mean the price of gas will decline by an equivalent amount. You know, oil went negative in 2021, but gas prices were still positive, right? There's not a direct correlation between oil prices and gasoline prices. So, High prices can remain sticky for a while longer. But inflation, because of the way we calculate it, will decline because we measure it on a year-over-year basis. And we've talked about this example before. If gasoline is $4 a gallon now and it's $4 a gallon next March, inflation is zero. Now, you're still paying $4 a gallon for gas, but inflation is zero. So inflation will cure itself over time if prices stop going up doesn't mean that you're paying less. It just means that they're not getting more expensive. So as we kind of go forward, we're going to have a couple of competing issues that are going to be weighing on the economies we were talking about in the last segment. You know, the Fed's now becoming much more aggressive about hiking rates to combat inflation. Well, again, how do they do that? Well, they combat inflation by hiking rates to slow your activity, right? Uh, growth, economic growth is a function of your consumption. 70% of the economic equation is you spending money. <laughs> Over the last couple of days, there's been 
several articles that are coming out with people making recommendations about what you should do to solve inflation. We saw an article out yesterday talking and we talked about this is, you know, if you, you know, if you have less than 300,000 a year in income, you know, you should think about swapping out meat for lentils. Right? Beans and rice. <laughs> the diet of choice for combating inflation. Um, the WEF, the World Economic Forum, issued out an ominous warning. I love these headlines, right? WF issues ominous warning over coming food crisis. Recommends more sustainable diets. Bloomberg recommends not going to Costco and buying in bulk. Because it might spoil. So you don't want to waste food, right? You don't, don't, don't want to be wasteful. Because other people could have used that food that you wasted. It was funny because um, in this article talking about the WF, it says, did you see the ratio Bloomberg just earned for a tweet which recommends getting used to lentils instead of meat, switching to public transportation, and avoid buying things in bulk? And of course, it's just had a huge run of people making comments on this, right? So there's over 11,000 comments on this article. Most of them weren't polite. Um <laughs> The issue is, of course, that, you know, everybody's got an opinion to give to you, right, over how to fix inflation. But yet it's the very actions that they're also pushing in terms of climate change and, you know, electric vehicles, et cetera, that are also contributing and will sustain inflationary pressures for a lot longer. The cost of products will go up because of a simply a global supply shortage of available things to produce. I mean, there's only so much that we have. There's a reason that they call them rare earth metals because they're rare. If there was a lot of them, they call they call them hey they're they're metals <laughs> or they're plentiful earth metals or they're rocks. I mean, you know. If there was a lot of it, there was an abundant supply. They wouldn't call it rare earth metals, but yet we're producing. We're saying in order to fix our climate problem, we've got to go build electric vehicles, which require a lot of these rare earth metals that are rare to begin with. And scarcity is the basic component of higher prices. So there's a lot of things that suggest that inflation will remain with us even after we solve some of these other problems because of scarcity of issues until and this is the big until until consumers say otherwise and this is always the case see there's a point to where consumers will simply say yeah, that, that electric vehicle thing, it's cool and all that, but I can't afford it. I'm going to buy a very low-cost ICE vehicle because I can afford that. And the demand will switch. And you'll have a demand switch at some point. Virtue is great up to the point that you can't afford it. 
and then people will make a choice, right? There's, a, there's an old kind of premise for the Federal Reserve in terms of calculating things. And there was a, it's called the substitution effect. And when the theory is, is that when the price of meat gets too high, that consumers will switch to chicken. I guess what Bloomberg is hoping is that with price of meat so high, you'll switch to lentils. <laughs> and yes, there's an abundant supply of lentils at the moment. But this is, but, but the laws of economics are pretty basic. It's all about supply and demand. And when prices reach a certain level that you have a demand destruction process in place, prices will fall regardless of what else is happening in the economy. That will occur. And again, people will start making choices. Hey, I can't afford option A, so I will switch over to option B. Or I'll just quit consuming option A because I just can't afford it anymore. Believe it or not, people do stop golfing when they can't afford to <laughs> when they can't afford to golf, right? I mean, they they do make choices. Instead of golfing twice a week, I'll golf once a week, whatever it is. People do make choices and they will give up things when they can't afford them. And that's just a function of the way economics works. And that's also the function of how interest rates work, and it's also the function of how Fed rate hikes work. It's all about slowing the economy. But the important thing in going back to, to our conversation that we were having last segment is that the important thing to understand here is that this is all very pre-recessionary. This will push the economy into recession at some point. Now, whether it's three months from now, six months from now, nine months from now, 18 months from now, nobody knows. Because the reason we don't know is, is that we don't know the point where the next, so the Fed hikes rates, nothing happens, right? The Fed hikes rates again and nothing happens. The Fed hikes rates again, nothing happens. The next rate hike, something breaks. We just never know at what rate hike or what rate level that is before something breaks. My suspicion is because the Fed hasn't had to deal with 8% inflation since 1980, that that level of rate hikes that break something is probably a lot lower than they estimate. Be right back after the break. daily investment news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com there's a war being waged on your retirement dollars and unless you act now you'll lose the battle with inflation higher taxes and a lower standard of living you can blunt the effects of rising prices with our next workshop on combating inflation in retirement april 2nd at the embassy suites houston richard rosso and danny ratliff will help you fortify your life savings make the most of social security and lower your taxes register now for this free workshop at realinvestmentadvice.com. Combating inflation in retirement with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. 
And welcome back to the show this morning, of course, as we get ready to kind of wrap things up. Markets uh, looking to open up just a little bit today. Uh, again, you know, we've had this nice rally coming off a very oversold condition. Markets are kind of overbought here short term. So, again, it's, it's one of those things where we've talked about before. You know, what do you do within your portfolio, et cetera, when you, you have these things? Look, and, and this is where we start to make mistakes historically. We have a position that we've been really beaten up on, right? Think about a company like Facebook, right? Just been absolutely beaten up. And so finally it starts to, and, and uh, while it's getting beaten up, it's like, okay, well, you know, I really like the company. That's the first statement that you make. Company's undervalued as it gets cheaper. You start making up excuses, right? Rationalizations. I'm, I'm, you know, there's, there's, there's uh, you know, I'm, I don't want to sell it here because it could come back. And then it does start to rally back, Right. And this is always the interesting thing about investing because we make deals with ourselves. When stock is going down, we say, well, you know, if the stock will bounce back to X, I'll sell it. I remember a, 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 a you know, story about this back in probably 2001, 2002. Brent and I had just really started working together at a, another radio station at the time and this is right in the midst of the whole Enron debacle and, uh, you know, dot-com crash. And Cisco was $80 a share in early 2000, right, going into the dot-com bust. And I would get this phone call on the radio show. And the guy would say, well, you know, the stock was $80 a share. It's, you know, it's down to 70. What should I do? And I'd go, well, you should sell it because, you know, we're in, you know, going into a bear market and this is going to get worse before it gets better. And he's like, oh, okay, okay. And he called me back about three weeks later. Stock's now at 60. It's like, what should I do with my Cisco? I said, well, I told you to sell it at 70 and now it's at 60. He's like, well, he's like, do you think it'll come back? I said, yeah, I think it can bounce, but you need to sell it on the bounce. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll sell it on the bounce. All right. Sure enough, stock bounces, goes back up to 70. And then it goes down again. And I get a phone call on the radio show. Guy says, well, I own Cisco and, you know, what should I do with it? And I go, well, I told you twice now to sell it I said did you sell it on the rally and he's like well he says it rallied but you know I, I thought it would go up more so I didn't sell it so what should I do now it's like well you should sell it on the next rally okay and this this conversation literally went on over the course of 2001 and 2 he would call me back as Cisco went from 80 to 20 and he never sold it because we make deals with ourselves we say well if the stock, you know, stock's at 80 and it goes to 60, so it gets back to 70, I'll sell it. Well, when it gets to 70, we go, but it could go up more. It could go back to where it was, and then I could sell it and break even, right? And then it goes to 50, and then you make a deal with yourself that you'll sell it at 65, and so it goes back to 65, but you're hoping it'll go to 70 where you could get out where you were supposed to before, and it goes back down again. And so you don't execute. <coughs> and this is the biggest mistake that investors make. 
and this happens repeatedly over time, is that we make these deals with ourselves that we don't honor because we talk ourselves out of it. You know, if the stock breaks a certain level, I'll sell it, but it does. And you go, well, maybe it'll come back and I'll sell it and it keeps going lower. Or it goes down and it rallies back to some level and you make a deal with yourself that you'll sell it, but you don't because you're hoping it's going to go higher. And hope is always the problem that we get ourselves into. I hope this will happen. But I'm violating the very basic rules of my portfolio management. And we've talked about before is that if you didn't like the decline that you had in January and February, you're getting this reflexive rally now that you should think about selling into and reducing risk. The problem is, is that a lot of people won't do that because they're going to hope that the market could go higher. And it could. As I said earlier this morning, there's a lot of negative sentiment, a lot of negative positioning on markets, but that can last a while. Markets could go higher. But what's your risk? You've had a reflexive rally now. The market's overbought short term. If you sell something here now, you're selling it at a better price than what you were, you know, kind of panicking over previously. So the market's giving you a bit of a gift here to sell stuff at a little bit higher price. And it could go higher. And then you're going to have regret, right? Well, I shouldn't, have, I shouldn't have listened to Lance. I shouldn't have sold it there, and now I could have sold it at a higher price. Yeah, maybe. That could happen. Sell some now. Sell some later if it goes up. But what are you going to do if prices roll over and go back down to lows? Then you'll be going, well, I wish I would have sold it. Right? See, this is the problem with markets is that we have no way to predict what markets are going to do. We can only deal with what we have. The other mistake that investors are going to make right now, too, is they're long a lot of commodity energy stocks. And you should be trimming those back. They've had a great run. A lot of them are getting very overvalued. And eventually, the issues that are causing the price spike in these commodity-based stocks will reverse, right? And then you're going to get yourselves in the same trap that the Cisco guy was in, Right. Well, if oil prices get back to 120, I'll sell I'll sell my energy stocks there. Well, if they get back to 100, if it gets back to 80, if it gets back to 60, if it gets back to 50, you know, you're you'll make those same deals that you'll continue to break all the way down until you give up a big chunk of your gains. That's just how investing works over time. And this is why it's important to have a very strong set of rules and guidelines that you follow. And, and again, everything is not, and this is the important thing. We talk about selling stuff, right? Taking profits. That doesn't mean sell everything in your portfolio all at once, right? We've had a nice rally here. You've gotten some relief in some of these really beaten up stocks. And if this, if you, if you were thinking about changing your allocation, switching from one stock to another, well, this is the time to sell the first part of the transaction and then look for the opportunity in the other company that you want to buy at a cheaper price. But be careful about selling a bad company to buy a company that's very overbought and extended also, right? I'm going to sell my Facebook to go buy an energy company. Stocks are very overbought. 
and prices of, of the commodity will decline. There will be demand destruction. Oil prices will fall. That's just a function of how commodities work. It's just a function of time. If you're in and you know you've done well, take some profits. Doesn't mean sell everything, just you know, take some profits and, and book some gains. Nothing wrong with that. You'll keep making money if things keep going up. The problem is, is as, as is always the case, we allow our greed to overtake our logic and our method of what we're doing in our portfolios. That's the important part. And the, you know, controlling those emotional biases is what makes us a better investor long term. But look, that's really hard to do, right? It's very hard to do. Emotions are, 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 the, biggest, are the biggest flaw that we have as investors. As Ben Graham once said, our biggest enemy is likely to be ourselves. And that's why it's important to have just a set of, of priorities or a set of rules, guidelines that you can follow. And, and we actually have some in our, in our post today on our website. It's called Buy the Dip or Sell the Rally. And we have a, at the bottom, we have some, some basic guidelines, you know, move slowly, right? Again, there's, there's nothing that says you've got to do stuff all at one time. Do small bits and pieces, make small changes. If you're overweight equities, don't try to rebalance everything all at once. If you're underweight, don't try to put everything into, into the markets all at once. Don't over-concentrate in positions. Sell laggards and losers. Add to winners. Do more of what's working, less of what isn't. You know, that's always the best guideline. If you have, if your portfolio isn't working, there's a reason it's not working. Start changing that. You know, the, the, the investing method isn't, well, you know, my portfolio is not working, but maybe if I just sit on this money long enough, it'll come back. And it may be the case. You know, one of the biggest issues we have as investors is regret. Kind of seller's remorse or buyer's remorse. I should have bought it and it went up in price or I shouldn't have sold it and, you know, it went up. You know, that happens, right? If you sell something that turns out to have turned the corner, doesn't mean you can't buy it back. There's, there's this interesting psychological phenomenon that I see more often than not by individuals. When they make a decision to sell something, they think they have now been put into this club they can no longer buy that position ever again, right? Well, I sold it. I can't buy it back. No, you can always buy it back. If you make a mistake, you go right back into it and you fix it and you move on, right? That's the beautiful thing about investing is that we can fix our mistakes very easily, but we're all going to make mistakes. Doesn't make you a loser. Doesn't make you a bad investor. Everybody makes mistakes. It's just a function of fixing them and moving on down the road. All right, wraps up the show for today. Get by the website, Technically Speaking Post, buy the dip or sell the rally. It's on the website now, along with those kind of guidelines to follow to help you manage your money better. As always, we're here to help. Get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Make sure you're registered for upcoming event on April the 2nd, Combating Retirement Inflation. That's on the website now. Seats are filling up pretty quickly, so you'll want to get signed up soon. That is on the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. See you back here tomorrow. It's a rich man's world.